Hello there to everybody. Hope you are doing well in this crazy, crazy time. This is Drew with The Take. I decided to uh, throw out all the fancy equipment today and uh, record this from my car. Sometimes I like getting out of the house, going somewhere, and just sitting, feeling the breeze, uh, rolling down my windows and enjoying the moment. And this is what I'm doing right now. But I really like talking to you at the same time as well. So, I've been thinking, and it's prompted by something I heard on the radio. I think it was called Know Your Risk Radio here in Seattle. And they were talking about the uh, the Fed and how our large, mostly economic uh, stability lately has been based off of a stimulus-based model. And I think that's absolutely true, and it's unfortunately true that uh, really there, there is very little market growth in most sectors of the economy. It's mostly propped up by uh, stimulus. And as I think of stimulus, I think of uh, that I both understand it and I, I fear it at the same time. Because stimulus in itself is just that. It's not real growth. You know, economic activity by its very nature creates growth. And its idea is expansion and growth and more people becoming a part of it. Stimulus in its by its very nature I think tends to want to maintain what uh, what is being currently existing or what has existed. So right now we have money flowing into an economy that isn't working. We have a bunch of input but very little output with these PPP loans. And it, it it kind of feels like, you know, building a house to hope the storm passes in a certain period of time. And then coming out and saying that you survived the storm. But I think what is happening, unfortunately, is... We are not coming out of the storm as quickly as many hoped. Uh, we can look at this and say, you know, like, the number of people that were projecting, oh, it's going to be over in a few months, and this is just a temporary thing. And while it is a temporary thing, it's not a thing that's going to be over overnight. It's going to continue to affect us. I mean, the effects of this economic downturn even after we find a vaccine, is going to be undeniable. It's going to be undeniable. That, uh, honestly, the ways we've changed in our, in our society and in our economics will, will influence that. And unfortunately, 
we've probably most definitely given stimulus to businesses that will ultimately end up failing. And the fact that we've invested that money in our economic system that will give us very little or no return is uh, going to ultimately be painful to our recovery. And it seems to me we create a problem as we try to treat the problem as well. We have a plane flying that we have chosen to try to soften the landing. Because right now, if we had no stimulus, and considering the lack of economic activity, we'd have society essentially falling to shreds. We have the Fed, and many other countries have their own version of the Fed, pumping billions and billions and billions and trillions of dollars into their economies. You know, not not to really help true growth happen, because in true asset growth, there is no growth happening. It's anemic. Nothing is happening. Sustaining is happening. But no actual growth is happening. There's no jobs really being created. Maybe they're being maintained, but there's no real creation. As far as hard assets or economic skills, investment in in actual capital, not really. It's just being maintained. Stay the course of the storm, hope it passes quickly, and then, you know, try to move on from there with, you know, go back to normal from what you had. But I, I think, you know, there is a certain positivity in that, but a certain negativity as well. I think this is one of those times in history, and they happen every once in a while throughout history, where essentially everything gets torn up, and then something new gets planted in its place, where we begin sort of anew again. And I don't know where that stops or where it ends or what it looks like. But I, I feel like it's it has some truth to it. And, man, we are in a very interesting spot, too. Because, like every other uh, sort of meltdown, there is societal effects to that meltdown. Ideology, for better or for worse, spikes in intensity and and radicalism whenever uh, things just aren't good. You know, when the economy's good and all the boats are floating. We don't have... People don't, aren't talking about, you know, radical social change. When things are bad, then people are more, much more open and willing to hear radical social change, even if that change is more destructive itself than 
than the uh, mess that they're already in. I mean, one can look back over history and look at um, even in our own history. When were the times in American history where we faced radical populism, radical uh, uh, suggestions of radical socialism? Uh, the 1930s would be one of those. Uh, there was a lot of consideration before uh, World War II whether the American-style republicanism was a viable solution to deal with the economic meltdown of the Great Depression. There's many actual people, something that we don't want to confront in American history, but there was actual people out there that were saying, hey, maybe Hitler is doing this right. You know, maybe fascism and socialism is the way to go. Now, history would later prove that this was untrue, but the particular way that that um, Hitler seemed to be recovering Germany from this massive calamity that they had after World War I was uh, very impressive to people and led actual a small minority of people to want favor fascism for America. One can look at the uh, documentary... Um, a Night at the at the Garden. It's a short documentary about uh, eight to ten minutes long on YouTube, and uh, I think it was in 1939. There was a massive American Nazi rally in Madison Square Garden, and tens of thousands of people were there, all praising the uh, consideration of American Nazism, which is scary, but that's what exists in when things go bad. People, people don't listen to good ideas when things go bad. People listen to bad ideas when things go bad. They don't say, let's ride, out, ride this out. They, they start looking for solutions that are radical. And I mean, one can look at Chinese history in the 19th century. I don't know about anybody else, but one of the least uh, researched aspects, yet most interesting aspects of history, is looking at Chinese history in the 19th century. Because in the 19th century, there was this uh, sort of social order that wasn't... Uh, very that much different than what exists today. <clears throat> in 19th century China, the the income and economic disparity was was incredible. It was massively incredible. Uh, there was two classes largely in that history. There was the uh, sort of uh, feudal uh, class that that were governors and then there were the poor there was really hardly any middle class and what happened was essentially was you had this uh, revolution from underneath against the against the governing authority it was about a good 90% to 10% ratio where you had 
uh, small landowning peasants, and really, it was more of a, they owned barely enough to land to survive. At that time, China was, was segmented into so many, um, the land was divided to such a way that, uh, no one could actually begin to make a profit. Because, one, they didn't have the technology to efficiently, uh, till the land and, and make it prosperous. And two, um, the wealthy often had the best land, and the 90% poor had some of the worst land. So that's kind of the interesting aspect to the thing. And uh, this all culminated in an interesting effect in that it created sort of a, a large resentment against those in power with those with the most wealth and uh, eventually led in, I believe, the 1860s to a massive uh, revolution from underneath where I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but there was a uh, kind of a pseudo-Christian uh, guy. I can't remember what he was, what his name was, but he essentially started this revolution against against the uh, ruling class, and he uh, absolutely just went to war, but, you know, uh, attacked the, the holdings of the ruling class, and it divided China into this, uh, war, into this, uh, civil war of a country, and eventually it molded its way into what we later would see in, uh, the in into Mao, you know, and some of the ugliness that went along with that, with the great leap forward, with the Cultural Revolution, with Mao's um, little red book, and a lot of the ideological warfare and class warfare that went along with the Chinese Communist Revolution, and I think while it had good ends in the fact that you know, so very many had so very little, the the ends don't justify the means. The ends ultimately became so much more destructive in consideration of human lives than it would... Man, these airplanes are loud. The ends became ultimately so much more destructive than than what they set out to do, you know. And I think we have the, the potential in our society to run into those issues as well and escalate it to a point where it becomes much more destructive than anyone ever intended. Um, I think we can learn from history to say that while it 
it is important that we uh, maintain a middle class and and expand the amount of wealth that the middle class has. It it's it's also potentially dangerous to go too far in doing so. To where we have people right now that are using violent tactics against other people, against each other, in order to meet those ends. I, I think there has to be a certain level of compromise in, that would, in which we can reach more people and, uh, and distribute wealth to more people. In, in certain ways. And I think that begins with... I would tend to look at things in a libertarian perspective. And I'd say... The first thing that I'd do... If I were in the leadership of this country... Is... Uh, disconnect the umbilical cords... That allow people to use the government as a means of profit. Um... I think there's there's a lot of corporate welfare going on. I mean, look, these it goes on with the PPP loans every time. The the fact that uh these companies and and the most wealthy in society are receiving the the benefit of uh government aid more than more than your common individual. And well, I think that has a certain point. It it's also, you know, it's like giving welfare to to people that don't that could survive just fine without it. You know, when the common person, and I think it's it, there's a good point, and I don't totally reject what some of the people on the left say. When the common person gets, uh, you know a check from the government in these days it's because they really need it and they need to it's their means to survive because they don't have a job or they don't have their professionals eliminated but when you have you know people that already have you know enough padding under them to to where if they suffered some kind of loss they'd be fine then that's a problem, you know? And what we have is not capitalism at all in our society. What we have is the antithesis of capitalism. When the government itself gets so involved that, that you know, a business cannot suffer an economic failure because the government props them up with stimulus it, it's not capitalism at all it's it's pseudo capitalism but it's not capitalism so the people that that insist that we have to prop institutions up for reasons of capitalism are it's not capitalism at all if you had pure capitalism you know it's capitalism in pure in a pure sense to me is it's a sink or swim sort of dynamic you either you either 
sell and, you know, maintain your level of goods or you don't, you know. But I also understand why you wouldn't want to do that because the whole idea of this stimulus is the fact that the bottom doesn't fall out. You know, if we were to, if the government today were to cut off all their stimulus funding to the economy, we would have a economy that would plummet like a rocket because there is no actual investment. There is no actual growth. I mean, these institutions, they're being maintained. They're being kept in flight. If they weren't there, the, the demand isn't there. Once you have the demand curve that's, that's so off that there's no demand, then, you know, you have, you have an economy that just plummets like we've never seen it before. And we've, we have government investment at this point that's, that's pumping money into the economy like we've never seen it before. I mean, I think I heard on the radio today that some, some institutions are projecting $30 trillion in debt by the end of this year, possibly. And it's ludicrous. I mean, think of a couple of years ago, we would have never, never imagined that level of debt. Yet we live in it now. We live in that, in that sort of dynamic. And heck, if I know what to do about this, because it seems like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Because ultimately, the, the most wealthy people in our society are going to be some, some of the biggest job creators. Some of the people that move our economy the most. Some of the people with the potential to to create and maintain investment in our society. So if you wish to cut their cut them down and and turn them off, then you also you also do a lot of damage to your your own society. You know, to me the the billionaires and millionaires they're they're. We may not like them, but we ultimately, you know, have to live with them at some point. In in a somewhat capitalist system, we need those people at some point. But I also understand the, the other side that says that it's outrageous that somebody has that level of wealth, you know... I don't know if it's outrageous to me. It's it's yeah, I guess it's unnecessary. You know, what what does a person need with 90 billion dollars? You know, the, I I think about wealth. There's some point where you make so much money that that it it it's eventually stupid amounts of wealth that nobody really actually needs. I don't know. I mean, you, with $90 billion, like, you know, whatever Jeff Bezos has or, or Bill Gates or Warren Buffett has, do you have enough money never to worry about anything at all? But you're likely, if you've made that amount of wealth, you're, you have the drive and desire to continue to make that amount of wealth. You know, you, you have a, 
you have a certain perchance for for uh you have a certain motivate internal motivation to to um challenge yourself to to get more to get better I don't know really what I'm discussing here but it's just I think we live in a very puzzling time that doesn't exactly have very many good answers um because I'm not in favor of I would say I'm not in favor of uh tax large taxation and wealth redistribution because I don't think that ultimately solves the problem that we face I think it far from solves the problem. Because I heard someone the other day, they said, you know, if you took, if you taxed all the wealth out of the, all the millionaires and billionaires in this country, it wouldn't, it wouldn't pay for what you wanted to pay for. Like if you needed, if you said, I want to have free college for, for everybody, and then you tax the millionaires and billionaires and, and took their assets, I mean, still wouldn't pay for it you'd still be running a massive amount of debt it would never it would never cover that amount because you know think of um you know you take top 100 most wealthy people combined they might make combined their total assets might make a trillion dollars that's might but you know if we're talking about free college and and assets for everybody, then we're talking about trillions and trillions of dollars. You know, not even that they can. You know, the the certain aspect of of sustaining a country based off of the government dole, it's a massive undertaking that not even not even the wealthiest of the wealthy could ever hope to fund. You know. And that's why, you know, we were so unique in the aspect of, in America, up until, I don't know, probably the last 40 years, of that many, many of our services were come from, came from the market, not from the government. You know, you can only you can only hope to borrow for for a certain amount of time, and then it's just gonna pop. You know, there's if you have this many things and people that the government relies on for for government funding, you're never gonna be able to to collect enough funds to to uh, be able to treat that. I mean, I I would think that, and at some point, you know, if you tried to to maintain the funding of of government services and you know meet that financial requirement, you would be undermining your own efforts. the The efforts of of stimulus programs and welfare programs of the idea that we can. S- stimulate people to a point where they can become economically uh, viable where they have maybe enough skills or enough funds to reach a point where they can get a job and sustain themselves but at some point you'd be 
you'd have to tax people so much that they would end up having to, you know, rely on the government. So you're just stealing money away from from the poor or taxing the middle class so much that they become poor anyway. I mean, it's, it's self-defeating. So I think we have a number of issues in our society that are just not being addressed right now. Not only not being addressed, but actively ignored, actively put to the side and said, kicked down the road and saying that someone else will have to deal with it. We we have a very uh, now sort of thing. And I think to a certain degree right now, especially with this whole stimulus thing, we are we are drinking the four loco. We are drinking the caffeine. We are drinking the five hour energy. You know, we live on a five hour energy economy right now. There's no active growth. There's no active growth and endurance. We're just pounding energy drinks and hoping that we won't, we won't crash. You know, whenever, whenever the economy starts to lag, we just pound another energy drink and, you know, we get another shot of adrenaline through the, through the economic stimulus of, of printing money. And gotta tell you, that's, that's a, that's, it's not even a solution. It, it just maintains the current thing. It's not a solution. It, it just takes away the feeling of, of falling apart. You know, what we had before, you know, before the government starts to hit us with these loans and starts to, uh, try to float the boat with the, with printing money. What we had before is, is, arguably more preferable at some point we're we're gonna hit a bottom and it's going to be ugly very very ugly and it's going to be ugly either way either we take the quick and fast route to it or we we take the slow and deteriorating route Because to be honest, the truth is I feel like at some point the stimulus will stop working, the caffeine shots will stop working, and the economy will... You know, it's it's inevitable. You can't keep printing money forever and, and suppose that people keep loaning you money forever. It's not sustainable. You will hit rock bottom at some point, and it's going to be massively ugly. We thought that the you know the time of toilet paper shortage and things like that will be ugly. It's going to be even more ugly. And right now, we have a system that is being held up by duct tape, and pretty soon, shortages and. Uh, economic disruption will be a a common thing it will be a common thing to have such an effect now I don't like looking at things in such negative light perhaps I shouldn't but I, I feel like it's telling the truth like this is telling the truth you know
we either we either go down and and new sources and new and economic growth happens in eventually or it doesn't happen at all you know I think we're we're running trying to run a, a new sort of future on an old operating system um, I don't know to, to, to me we, we have a we have an old way of doing things that was based off of, of a 20th century model that that doesn't work in the 21st century we're going to look differently and I'm not saying this is you know, some reason or excuse for a new kind of socialist revolution. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that that old models of economic activity are different. And we are propping up old models and defunct means of doing things in order to keep them alive. And I think we we only really begin to recover when we have hit a place where the ground can be refreshed again. When the soil is new again and we have new business models and new things people want to invest in. You know, there's there's desire like in companies like some of the best companies really doing economic activity. They're booming right now. And the reason that they're booming is that they have they have changed with the times and are able they had the fore foreknowledge and uh, foresight in order to make economic changes that would be beneficial to society. Amazon, as much as people love to hate on them, they were a company under Bezos and others, you know, back in the mid-2000s that absolutely had the foresight to to know which way the wind was blowing. And they created a business model that would, perhaps wouldn't be efficient for an early 2000s model, but they could see what was going on. The, the new retail market of online selling and how uh, fantastically rich that would be in, in people wanting to invest in it. They could see it. Well, the fact is we, we, can't have, we can't have a dynamic where the government continues to prop up business that, that runs a old and defunct model. We need new ideas and new ways of doing things that will be economically productive we need investment in new ideas perhaps even even I would support a, a sort of uh, government stimulus of of new economic models of companies using new economic models that that people will want to invest in as the consumer is changing the consumer is absolutely changing. It, 
And the brick and mortar market is becoming less and less viable, especially now that we have have this uh, pandemic going on. The brick and mortar model of uh, stores is one. It's it, it's heavy. You know, you having to maintain lots of uh, consumer facilities like stores and power and and things like that and. You know, if you can go to a non-brick-and-mortar model, then you save yourselves all kinds of capital that you have to pump into making, you know, nice stores and and making things look pretty. Heck, if you, you if you can just set up a website real easy instead of having to do all this other stuff, then you've already saved yourself a lot of time. So I don't know. I don't know. finding out what it is that people want to invest in and start investing in those businesses rather than investing in others. I mean, sometimes, as sad as it is, uh, a certain sector of the economy just got to die because it's going to. It's either going to die a slow death of, of being unwanted or it's going to die a quick death and get it over with. You know. It's the kind of the brutality of, of, of capitalism. The uh, next thing that might go the way of the dinosaur is, as I've heard, the trucking industry. And one of the interesting things I think that goes hand-in-hand uh, hand with the trucking industry is, of course, truckers. And they're talking about the fact that um, they're going to... Uh, we're going to have uh, trucks that are being driven by advanced uh, computer and AI. And they will be able to drive across the country much more efficiently than any human ever would. And I've seen a debate, actually. I think it was between... I believe it was between... uh, no, it was when um, Tucker Carlson was on the Ben Shapiro show. And Tucker was saying he was in favor of regulating and kind of suppressing such such a market that would allow the trucking industry to be devastated. And I understand where he's coming from because... The trucking industry is a backbone of the American economy. But I think to a certain degree, we we always have this sort of model. That people are, are wanting to use the government in a way that protects their livelihoods, protects their assets against uh, innovation. I think eventually in 10 years maybe, well, 5 years, 7 years, we'll have trucks that drive themselves and do it much more efficiently and safely even than than humans, you know. And all of a sudden we'll have, overnight we'll have truckers that become unemployed. 
But I think there there hasn't, as far as I know, there hasn't been the usual projection of of an absolute economic collapse. You know, there's been this fear and projection that if we let technology do its job, then or we allow, allow innovations and technology to replace the humans, that you know humans will just become. Uh, you know, go the way of the dinosaur and we'll have nothing to do in society. I don't think that that has not proven true up to this point in human history. Largely when one economic sector of the economy is destroyed, another one grows out of it, the innovation. I think about even, you know, the cashier model. I think, you know, once cashiers were sort of taken out because of the uh, automated check stands, people got jobs elsewhere. I mean, somebody has to repair these machines and somebody has to do other models. So labor is a thing that I think can be moved around. People can people can learn new skills, you know. And right now, the other thing that I'm thinking about is teachers. Look at all these teachers unions that are making these pretty uh, radical demands upon their society. And they know they have, they have the place to do it. Because right now, there are so many that depend upon a, a uh, public school model that public school teachers they can make or break the economy right now I mean they have that much power that they can dictate anything any social changes that they really like because they know you know you can't have a real authentic economic recovery until the middle class which as children can return back to work and you can't really return back to work if you can't uh, you know, have your children go to school. If they're stuck at home, then you're stuck at home. Because you're responsible for your kids. So we live in a, in a kind of a weird dynamic where the people that, that can make or break the economy are the ones that have great amount of power now, and they know it. And they're willing to use it. Wouldn't surprise me if overall you see teachers using this power to demand higher salaries, to demand different things. And right now, I mean, the LA school district, I believe, are demanding, you know, pretty radical social changes going on on a societal level. And they feel like they have the power to do so. Whether we agree with that use of power or not, it it is a fact that it is being used in that way. So we have a very interesting dynamic, and uh, I suppose, I don't know if this talk really had a direction, but it really kind of covers my beliefs and my thoughts on on where we stand economically and societally today.
let me know your thoughts on this. And I'd love to hear from you. This has been Drew with The Take. I'll see you next time.